great thing to be able to worship together, and I want to welcome you again. Uh, my name is Mike Shuffle. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossway Wilmington, uh, and specifically over uh, community uh, for the life of our church, and that is what we will be looking at today, uh, particularly through the lens of four verses found in Hebrews, and so I forgot to look up the page number, uh, but uh, it's Hebrews 10, 22 through 25, and we'll make our way there, and we'll go ahead and open up reading that together. So Hebrews 10, 22 through 25, Hebrews found uh, just in the back end of your Bible, just a few chap or a few books away from the end. <clears throat> Let's read God's word together. Hebrews 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil, un, evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We've been in this kingdom relationship series over the last five weeks, and we have consistently referred to the kingdom being the place where God is king, the place of both his rule and his dominion. Kingdom people, therefore, are those who joyfully come under his rule and dominion. And one of the ways... His will being done, his kingdom coming, as we just sang, is in the way we relate to one another, hence kingdom relationships, and more specifically today in the context of community. And for the sake of this morning, uh, when we talk about community, we can in a lot of ways equate biblical community and kingdom relationships, can define them as one and the same, and we talk and um, it's, a, it's much of who we are as a church body uh, to talk about community and all that is when we uh, refer to it are the relationships built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and his saving work in our life. As we wrap up this series today, we start where, or excuse me, we start today where we started the series five weeks ago where Matt opened the word in Matthew 6 and we looked at the Lord's Prayer and the first two words of that Lord's Prayer were our Father. So right out the gate we see our reminding us that we are a family. We are part of the family of God and we find community everywhere in the Bible. Matt said it like this week one. We are all a bunch of misfit kids who have been adopted into this peculiar and beautiful family. And we all have a seat at the table with our Father. The series started with the main idea that God's power transforms us. So God's power transforms our relationships. And we know that much of God's transformative work in our lives and in our relationships happens in the context of community. It's been said our faith is a community project. We can't fully become the 
the person or the people that God wants us to become outside of community. It's essential as kingdom people, and it's essential to the sustaining and the strengthening of our faith in Jesus. As we get started this morning, I just want to take a moment uh, personally, one, just to say uh, how much Amber and I praise God uh, for you, uh, that we praise God for uh, the community project that's been at work for over 13 years of our life uh, since we have been part of this miracle called Crossway Wilmington, Uh, and it really truly is uh, a miracle of God's grace. It's a God-given privilege for us to be able to be considered part of this family, and I would say outside of God's word in our life, Uh, that this has had the single most transformative effect on our lives. It's had an effect on only our lives uh, individually, as well as our relationship through our marriage, as well as through our parenting and all of life. I can tell you for certain I would not be standing up here today opening God's word with you if it wasn't for the transformative effect of this church community in our life. So we love you. Uh, it's consi- I consider it one of the greatest gifts uh, in our life, and our family's life, uh, to be part of this local church. And with that said, though, it doesn't mean that it's always been perfect. Um, it has been messy at times and, and likely will be, uh, but that is what also makes it beautiful. And that's where we get the picture of just this beautiful mess we call community doing life with one another, as, as Kevin mentioned, as he emceed. So we love you, thankful for you. I want to give God uh, praise for it, and we'll pray uh, as we go uh, and continue on through these four verses together. So let's pray. God, this is a, a good gift right here in front of us, that if we're in here, um, part of this church in any way, being able to experience Um, the community that you have um, created here. God, there are many people who who have never uh, experienced uh, what we have here, so praise God for it. Praise God for uh, my brothers and sisters that you have brought together here at at this church. And God, here as we open your word, just reminded that we have nowhere else to turn. Your word, it is good, it is true, it is pure, it is reviving to the soul. You make wise the simple. So God, would you give us ears to hear this morning? But not only that, but that we would be motivated and encouraged to walk out of here and live out uh, this call to community community in such a way uh, that would look so different to the world that it's noticed, and when people notice it, it draws them in and it points them to you. We ask for your help now, God. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The main idea for us this morning is 
Kingdom relationships help us hold fast with confidence until the end. Kingdom relationships help us hold fast with confidence until the end. And over these four verses, there are three let us statements that will help guide us uh, through what it means to be a kingdom people, to holding fast with confidence until the end. And like any good lettuce wrap, you must eat through the lettuce to get to the meat. And I'm blaming that one on Mr. Collada. So Kevin Collada, who just emceed, he hooked me up with that dead joke, but clearly um, nobody caught that. So uh, got a little bit more of a response in the first service. And most people encouraged me to stick with the joke, but clearly uh, didn't land it very well. So anyway, we'll chalk that one up to a, uh, uh, a fail, but maybe at least got your attention. Um, so we want to draw near... Um, and that is what our first let us statement. Okay, we'll try to focus back up. And Kevin said specifically not to uh, give him credit for, for the bad dead joke, but uh, we're going we're gonna to do that. The first let us statement is to, for us to draw near, and that's verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. This is an important first let us statement because any hope of us living out what we will talk about today, what we have talked about for the last five weeks is impossible apart from us first drawing near. If you had the privilege of being in the parent seminar yesterday, Pastor Bill opened us up and as we got going on how to disciple our children and what it looks like uh, to be godly parents, he just started out first and foremost and said, we must be fully anchored in Christ. In other words, if we have any hope to be an effective parent, we need to draw near. And if for us, if we have any hope to live out our life, to pursue relationships as God has called us to, we must first draw near to God. Drawing near to God is the essence of our Christianity. Compared with the Levitical system of the Old Testament, which kept people outside of his presence. It would be unheard of for people to be able to enter into God's presence. And if you've read in the Old Testament or understand that Levitical system, it was a lot of detail and protocol that had to be met just for the, the one priest to be able to enter into God's presence on an annual basis. But now for us, we have the ability to draw near, which is what makes us kingdom people. Verse 19 through 22, the, the lead up to our passage today, I think it's helpful to read. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. So this is what makes us kingdom people. The original entry into the kingdom has come through our great priest who spilled his blood for our access. As kingdom people, it's helpful for us to be reminded that this is not an earned right. We did nothing to earn uh, this. 
yet this is the blood-bought privilege of the believer that because of Jesus, we can draw near as his people. Amen. There's probably a number of you here this morning that may find yourself um, living distant from God, but still trying to kind of carry out this association of uh, being a kingdom people. And if you find yourself, the encouragement, uh, find yourself there, my encouragement to you this morning is, one, that we do not have to settle for God to be a distant thought but yet, our relationship is more than just submitting to God's rule, but that we can actually draw near and that that would be a present reality for us as his people. And as we long for him, as we fully enjoy him, as a result of us drawing near, then and only then can we then come together as a community as a joy-filled and grace-filled community of believers. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't have a gym membership. Uh, I actually never have, um, but probably could benefit from one. Uh, but you may have a gym membership. You may have had a gym membership at some point. But we, uh, a lot of us, whether it's a gym or something else, we belong to something. We may have a membership uh, to an organization or whatever it may be. But like a gym membership, we may really uh, love the idea that we belong to a gym. Uh, but the reality is that we have no association uh, with it because we never actually show up and do anything at that gym. And if you were to ask anybody who's part of that gym, they would know that you're not for real because they never see you actually showing up uh, to work out. And I think it's a really helpful picture for us as kingdom people that we wouldn't live our life in a way where we're just, that's just by association or that's just by title. We could even actually physically show up here on Sunday mornings, but the amazing reality and the truth that we have access to God, God and as his people, we get to draw near to his presence. And clearly this was important to the author of Hebrews because he goes on and says it several other times throughout this book. I'll read two, Hebrews 4.16. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 7.25 says he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since we always live to make intercession, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So as believers who belong to the kingdom of God, we draw near because we know left to ourselves, left to our flesh, if we're not drawing near to God, we're drawing near to something else, someone else, namely ourselves. And if we end up drawing near to ourselves, all forms of that manifest itself and a lack of love for others. We become consumers instead of servants. We become self-seeking because all that we are occupied with is building our own kingdom in order to meet our own needs. But we know that Jesus has called us something, to, something much greater and very much the opposite. And we see that also in Matthew 6, and that is to seek first the kingdom of God. And it's important that we start here and that we hear this for those that are 
uh, believers this morning. But the reality is the invitation that is before us at the heart of the author of Hebrews is the invitation to the unbeliever, to the one that does not find themselves belonging to God's family. They have yet to come to Christ. And so if that reality is for them at the time, I believe that to be true this morning where there's likely someone in this room uh, that has walked in that does not belong to the kingdom of God. And if that is you this morning, what you need to know is this is at the very heart of the gospel, uh, the good news, that God did something absolutely unthinkable that we would no longer be outside of his presence, but that we might be able to draw near to him, the king of this universe, by sending his son ultimately to suffer and to die on the cross, all this so that we might draw near. Christ came into the world to make a way for you to come to God without being consumed by your sin and by his holiness. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. Hebrews 7.27, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. If you are here this morning, God has graciously allowed you to hear this amazing truth, that the work has been done on your behalf because of Jesus that you might draw near and experience the reality of what the psalmist is getting at in Psalm 1611, where he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You can know the path of life, experience in his presence fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. That can be you this morning. And if, we're, if you are a believer this morning, I think knowing this reality, how could we not want to draw near? And when we draw near, we know that it is not just with our mouths, but it is with our hearts where we see to draw near with a true and a sincere heart. So we draw near to God. And then secondly, in verse 23, it says to let us hold fast the confession of our hope. See, our security and our ongoing position in God's family, in the kingdom, is based on holding on to our confession and the faithfulness of God who will finish the work he started and bring us home in the end. Nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, should ever turn us from the confession that our only hope is in Christ. That is why we hold fast. This verse echoes what Paul shared in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, that I think is helpful for us to read these two verses, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, 
and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. This gospel has been preached. We received it. We stand in it. And we are saved by it if we continue to hold fast. And can I just say real plainly that if you're in here this morning, if you find yourself discouraged or you find yourself tempted this morning to give up on the future blessings that we have been promised, know this. One, his promises, they will never fail. And two, anyone who trusts in him will never be disappointed. Hebrews 3, 6 and 14 says, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our, conf- our confidence and our boasting and our hope. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So we hold fast with confidence, not in our personal faithfulness, but in the faithfulness of Christ. He is the object of our faith. Jesus Christ is our hope. I think it's really important here as we transition to verse 24 and 25 that we see that God did not create you just to hope in him. But that hope that we have would be made visible by the effect that it has on our life. And that is then where we see it lived out through relationships, through this context of community as we uh, enter into our last two verses and spend majority of our time here. So we draw near, we hold fast, and now we consider. Verse 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now it says to consider how to stir one another up, but I think it's important before we get into that that we actually look at the word consider. The word consider means to behold, to observe, to understand, to consider attentively, to fix one's eyes or mind upon. We actually see this exact word consider one other place in Hebrews, and it's Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 where the author says, consider Jesus, meaning think about him, behold him, let your mind be occupied with him. Jesus is the direct object of the verb consider. So we are to consider Jesus, and then here in Hebrews 10, 24, the grammar exactly the same. Now we have the direct object of consider being one another. So we consider Jesus, we consider one another in the same way, in this uh, way in which I think uh, John Piper does a really great job of uh, explaining it. I just came across um, an article I was reading or in, in his sermon uh, where he states this in regards to consider. Literally, this is God's call on us to consider one another. That is, to look at one another to think about one another, to focus on one another, to study one another. Let your mind be occupied with one another. And the goal of this focus on others is to think of ways of stimulating them to love and good deeds. 
He goes on to say, now there is a reason to live and a focus for every day that will never be boring. Every day is new and different. People change. Their circumstances change. You change. But the call remains the same. Consider, consider, consider these people you will be around today. This is a reason for living that is focused enough to be practical and big enough to last a lifetime. I just love it. If we're looking for a reason to wake up and live and focus every day that's never to be boring, live in a way that's focused enough to be practical but big enough to last a lifetime, let us consider. And consider what? First, we see we are to consider how to stir one another, stir up one another to love and good works. To stir up, if you caught this, isn't it interesting? It seems like the call could have easily just been, hey, consider how to love and how to do good works. But the reality is there's a collective responsibility for us, the body, to help others on to love and good deeds. And if that is the case and others need our help to be a loving people, then the same could be said for us, that we in return need the same thing. So we are called to help, and this stirring up in this context is specifically getting at a stimulating, a provoking, an inciting of someone or to do something, and specifically to do something good. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word stir up, or I see that phrase, I kind of go more to the negative. We think about it in terms of someone stirring up strife or stirring up drama, stirring up division. But the picture here is it's a stirring up for something good. And I don't know about uh, anybody in this room, whether you would raise your hand or not, but is there any natural peanut butter consumers out there in the crowd today? Yeah? Yeah? We made the transition to natural peanut butter about a year ago, and the thing that stood out to me that grossed me out why I didn't want to uh, eat it at first is because when you open up the jar of peanut butter, there's, it's separated, and it's liquidy at top, and there's just this liquid oil that's sitting up top. It needs to be stirred so that ultimately you can enjoy it as you would, you would expect with peanut butter. I grew up on Peter Pan, and so... It was a transition for me. But I think it's such a helpful picture for us because that jar, if it sits still, if it sits stagnant, if it's not stirred up, separation takes place. Same for us as a people. If we are stagnant, if we are not in a position or in a place to be stirred up, separation begins to take place. And there is nothing flavorful about separated natural peanut butter and there's most certainly nothing flavorful about a, a people that are separated from one another and separated from God and so there's this encouragement there's this call for us to stir up and to stir up unto what to stir up unto love and good works love being the root good works being the fruit Secondly, not neglecting to meet together. 
verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So if we don't neglect to meet, rather we gather. Real plainly, I'll just read this. It says, those who neglect assembling together cut themselves off from the very means whereby Christ feeds, assures, and protects his people. To say I can do this alone is to defy the very command of Christ. You may have heard it before, we've referenced it before, but there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. God did not create you to be that way. And we see two groups specifically here in this passage in verse 25. One, those who gather to encourage one another. And two, those who have made the habit of not gathering. A primary motivation comes from another passage in Hebrews that we'll look at. Hebrews chapter 3, 12 and 13. And Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 10 was introduced to me. I, I, I can remember many years ago when we first started leading the life group, just this picture of a community that we find. But there is a very clear warning uh, to God's people on not gathering. And we see that in three, chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin we see the hardening effect of not gathering to those who make the habit to not gather and if that is the case then I think it's safe to say that the opposite is true there is a softening effect to community. And that softening effect of community should be the motivation for all of us, seeing that community keeps us soft to the things of God, keeps our hearts fertile for the continued work of grace in our life. As many of you know, I serve as the athletic director at Coastal Christian here in town, and Part of my job is supporting our baseball coaches and caring for our baseball field. And if you know anything about baseball fields, most infields are clay. And clay infields that are left alone, they harden to the point of concrete. To the point that you can't even play on the surface because of how hard it is. But yet the infield requires a consistent and ongoing care where it's got to be watered, it's got to be dragged, it's got to be raked, it's got to be cared for on an ongoing basis in order to keep the field soft, to allow for it to do its job. And so in the same way for us, community keeps us soft, allowing us to continue to live in a way that God has called us to be as believers. Ezekiel 36, 26 talks about how you have been given a heart of flesh. We all had hearts of stone at some point, but then the difference that Christ makes, our heart becomes a heart of flesh, and then it's community, and it's the role of community that keeps that heart soft in an ongoing way. So we stir one another up, we don't neglect to gather, and then thirdly, we encourage one another. 
encourage the meaning of this word when you give someone courage or confidence to do something. A mentor of mine and something that we use often in context of coaching is, is to actually take your courage, take your confidence and go and shove it into someone else to be able to again go and live, live out that same courage and confidence. And I think what's really important here is as we see this call to gather, one, it's very clear in scripture, it's very important as believers that we show up and we're committed to the local church and we commit to gathering on Sunday mornings such as we are now. But I believe Kevin mentioned it when he was emceeing that, hey, in a meet and greet, it's really hard to connect and really hard to know how to encourage one another and do life with one another if all we're doing is just gathering once. And so there we have other gatherings outside of Sunday morning, but particularly this passage, I believe, is getting at the, the picture that we have of why we would want to gather in smaller groups, smaller number on a consistent basis throughout our lives. And that's where for us at Crossway, while we celebrated another multiplication of another life group, we believe that life groups is the primary way for us as a church body to be able to live out uh, this call to community. Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And that is at the heart of when we gather throughout the week in our life groups that is what we're hoping to accomplish. This does not happen every week for us, uh, but I will, I feel like God just kind of gave me uh, this past week in our life group just such a beautiful picture of exactly what it is that we're talking about now. One, we had some sickness going through our family. It would have been really easy to just cancel life group and knowing what all we had going on this week leading up to this Sunday. But we went, forward with, we went forward with life group. We went forward with choosing to gather. My wife stayed home with our one daughter who was sick. So another family had to step up and host, open their home on the day of. Then we're sitting out front before we left, and Amber didn't have anything for dinner for that night. And was like, just bring us home, or can you run, bring some food back, maybe that we might have it. At the same time, we're having that conversation. Everything's all right, I think. At the same time having that conversation, a car pulls up into our driveway. It's one of our life group members bringing Amber a meal because she knew she wasn't going to be able to make life group. We then show up at life group. We try to get everyone's attention so that we can pray and open um, and, and eat. Everybody is so engaged in one-on-one -on -one conversations, hearing about how their week's going, talking about how they're doing, where they're at, that we... We had to fight to break that connection up just so we could pray to get started. So we pray, we open up, we have a meal together. Then we go on, we sit in the living room together and we open God's word together. And while we're sitting there across from the circle, one of my dear sisters talking about Philippians 2 from last week is just so struck by the example of Christ and the humility that he displayed that she, her eyes began to well up with tears. Soon after, another brother encourages our group, saying he had had a significant situation the night before that had really messed with him. 
He was, it was just, it was a rough situation. He had to step into a meeting soon after it, and a text came through from one of the brothers in our group. And he it shared what was going on, and then in that moment, he texted him a prayer for his situation. And the funny thing about that is as he was commending that brother in our life group, then that brother turned around and said, well, I didn't do that. That wasn't my idea. I, I did that, but I learned from the example of one of my other sisters here who last week did the very same thing where she had texted a prayer to the group of ladies. He saw that and was impacted by that example and was led to do that in that moment. I don't know about you, but as I'm, as I'm hearing, as I think about it, as you hear it, like who doesn't want to be part of that? to be able to be part of a community where there's mutual care for one another in such a way that not only are we encouraged, but I'm personally not moved throughout my week if I'm sitting at home that Wednesday night watching TV or whatever else we might have gotten into, yet I'm sitting across and seeing a sister of mine get Uh, moved by just a passage that we're all familiar with. And it spurred me on, encouraged me to want to make my life count for Christ, not to take for granted what he has done for me in my life and the difference that that makes in my life. And that doesn't happen if we're not gathering in in those smaller groups. So that being said, if you're not in a life group, not that this message is all about uh, to get you into a life group, and uh, but the question I think I would ask is what's keeping you from being in a life group? I think there will be a disconnect that you feel. In some ways you almost uh, would feel like you're on the outside kind of looking in uh, as you see the relationships and the way in which our body operates here as a church. And so my encouragement would be that you join one. Shoot, as Kurt shared, even college students, you can be part of your college group and join another life group during the week because this church body that Amber and I talked about for 13 years, prior to that, we both can accredit to families, older brothers, sisters, community groups, families that we were part of prior that made the difference in who we are. Two of them are sitting right here on the third row. We all have excuses to run to. It's life gets busy. We may not actually think we need to gather. Uh, We may not think we need community in our life. But instead of searching for an excuse, we should be doing everything possible within our power to meet together. I was struck by a 16-year-old girl that's part of uh, our girls' basketball program at Coastal. Friday morning, she showed up for a 6.30 a.m. workout. The day before, her tire blew out in her car. She waited five hours for AAA to replace the tire. Eventually got home, finished homework. Friday morning, she wakes up at 4.30 in the morning because, oh, just so happens she lives on the other side of Regalwood, which is over an hour away. But she was standing in that gym at 6.30. And the picture that leaves us with is, We show up to the things that we care about. We show up to the things that we prioritize in our life. And my encouragement to you is that you would prioritize the gathering. 
certainly this morning, but the type of gathering where there's an encouraging of one another. And I think a really important point that I'll make is that there's a, the difference with this community, the community of believers, different from other organizations that meet throughout the week that may meet because of a similar interest or a similar um, passion that they might have. The diversity amongst us believers in the church, the gospel knits us together through a common salvation that we are given the grace to live with one another who are different than us. So the call is not to just gather with those that are easy and gather with our friends. But this is different. We're gathering with the people of God, right? And we're all different. We sometimes joke, apart from Christ, I'm probably not hanging out with you. But we know the difference of when we gather and the, the relationships, and I can point to a number of relationships in my life that are so meaningful and they are so different than me and I probably would have never spent time with them uh, or gotten to know them if it wasn't for Christ and the call to be in life with one another. So we're called to encourage one another and lastly as we close out our time, verse 25 goes on to say, all the more, all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so our fourth point is all the more until the end. Faithful anticipation should characterize the church's daily life. The nearness of his return makes our encouragement of one another and our gathering together all the more urgent and all the more significant. As time moves toward the day of the Lord, the author clearly expects the church to grow in faithful commitment. So there's an urgency. We don't know when that day will be, but we know there's an urgency to, to our gathering and to our encouraging of one another that we would hold fast our confession and hold fast to the end. And the reality is it's not going to get any easier for us as Christians. All the more reason we need community. We need each other if we are able to hold fast with confidence until the end. You know, there are some seasons that are easier some seasons we may be able to get away with uh, not being with God's people, but we know uh, there, those seasons will not last. And so the call here is to hold fast until the end. And in closing, I'm going to read from a book. I don't know if Pastor Bill's ever walked by and just handed you a book, but he seems to do that a lot. And he handed me a book just a couple of weeks ago. It happened to be called Gospel-Centered Community. It's by Robert Thune and Will Walker. And I came across this statement, which I think is so fitting for us to close out our time. And that is, the depth of our community says something about God and his gospel. The depth of our community says something about God and his gospel. Our longing should be to form communities, and specifically this community within Crossway Wilmington, in such a way that entices the world to want to believe in Jesus. John 17, 21 says, May they all be one, just as the Father are in me, and I in you, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is a different kind of community. It should look different to the world. 
And when the world sees it, it should be noticed. Whether here in our city, whether on the college campus, in our neighborhoods, wherever it might be, it looks different. It looks so different that it's noticed. And when people notice it, it's appealing. Appealing to the point that they consider Jesus because of what they have seen. May that be what is said of us here at Crossway Wilmington. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we ask that the depth of our community here at Crossway would be in such a way that it would show that we serve a great God. And we believe in this gospel message that has the power to transform lives. We are created for community. We are redeemed for community. And we are transformed in community. God, we know the transformative effect that community has on our life. Help us not to neglect it. Help us to run to it. All the more, not less. God, would you help the people in our body, all ages, from our youth to our owls, to our college students, to our singles, to our married couples, our families, that we would embrace this type of community that is so different that it's noticeable, and when people notice it, it's appealing to the point that it points them to you. We ask for your help now. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.